Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. We had a blast last week as our digital journalism conference News Rewired returned to the physical stage. We heard a range of discussions from resilience in the newsroom to the future of newsletters. And you can check out a bunch of that coverage on journalism.co.uk and newsrewired.com. But in this week's episode, we're bringing you the main talking points from one of the liveliest panels on the day, focusing on the training and retaining of journalists. Latest NCTJ research indicates that four in five journalists in the UK hold a university degree. On top of that, many jobs in journalism ask for an NCTJ qualification, often seen as a gold standard to recruiters. But why do we depend so much on university graduates and what are the implications for journalism? Are degrees and diplomas really necessary in the digital age? What other alternative training routes can news organisations consider? And has this now become a class problem considering the eye-watering cost of going to university? So many important questions to get through and to help sift through the masses, we've got a range of perspectives coming up from digital publications, universities and working class journalists. Given that our moderator was the chairman of the NCTJ, it's safe to say things got interesting. Don't go anywhere. Content creator, content producer, journalist, reporter, presenter. Some people might not know that all of those roles are actually being a journalist. That's Charlie Sembi, an award-winning social media journalist currently working as senior producer for Pink News and the founder of So You Want to Be a Journalist, a social media channel dedicated to giving up-and-coming journalists tips and tricks to break into the industry. It's well worth a follow if you've not already. Charney says that the vagueness of job titles on platforms like LinkedIn discourages a lot of people to apply for roles, and hence why platforms like hers, as well as Journo Resources, Drop the Mic, Media Beans and so on, have become vital sources of wisdom for young talent wanting to break in. But besides that, a lot of young people, especially those from minority backgrounds, simply do not feel that listed jobs are within reach because most of the time they ask for either a university degree or an NCTJ qualification to be considered. She calls for entry-level roles to become more realistic, talking here to the panel moderator and NCTJ chairman, Kim Fletcher. Other forms of training are also acceptable. Other routes into the industry also mean that they can apply for these entry-level roles and actually kind of get a foot in the door because I think that's the hardest bit. You're, you're being quite polite, the way you phrase it, that there's not enough diversity. Is it the middle-class stitch-up, um, those other people who are encouraged and are getting into journalism? I think, yeah, that's definitely a big issue within the industry because coming from a working class minority ethnic background, I didn't have a lot of family or any family connections really to rely on. So there was no one I could ask for for advice on how to get into the industry. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to then do a degree so I could get that knowledge. But there are some people who doing a degree just isn't an option for them. So they feel like these careers are not accessible to them because they just don't know how to start. So even having that information out there, I think, makes a massive difference. Charney makes a good point here that candidates with family connections or those who get into an elite university do get a head start on their careers. And those who don't feel like they're left behind. It's why her platform has garnered such a following. But there's another good point in here. Recruiters are not short on applicants. The issue is getting more diverse candidates to apply, a different kind of journalist into the newsroom. If you flick through the job listings on a site like LinkedIn, it will show you how many people have applied already through the platform. It's often a lot, by the way, and that's without taking into account how many have applied through other means, like email or through the website directly. 
If you're a journalist without a qualification, you might feel, what's the point in applying? An exception, but by no means the norm, comes from business news publication Insider, which offers paid internships twice a year, training applicants to report on emerging fields like cryptocurrency. No degrees or diplomas are required at all, and they're open to hybrid work, meaning they can spend their six months working in the office, at home, or a blend of the two. But as you can imagine, it's very competitive, possibly because it's seen an influx of applicants from outside of London. Insider took on 19 fellows in January, but there are anywhere between 150 to 200 applicants for just one internship position. That's not a job, an internship. Insider gives them full training on the job and retains the cream of the crop once their contract is up, which is somewhere between 7 and 11 interns who go on to full-time jobs. Those who don't make the cut are then highly employable and have found work at other publications directly afterwards. Here's Emily Sexton-Brown, Assistant Managing Editor of Insider, who heads up the internships. Some people who come into our fellowship haven't had formal qualifications, but they've had such a natural flair, Mm. such people-people, such fantastic um, interviewers, um, and they've not really had any formal training whatsoever, Mm. but it's just a natural ability, and it's such a pleasure to to be able to witness that as well because of this huge cohort we kind of bring on twice a year. Insider is not the only news organisation tweaking its hiring practices, but sometimes it takes a new player to introduce new thinking and break the status quo. The news movement is a fresh startup led by BBC veterans with a focus on social first storytelling. Jonathan Patterson spent two decades at the BBC working on various video-led projects and has recently left to join this startup, led by Kamal Ahmed, formerly the editorial director of BBC News. The question is, are these industry veterans still clinging on to old-school requirements for degrees and diplomas, or is there a new mentality in the air given the social-first focus of the news movement? That's a difficult one, says Jonathan. So I, I think that we are certainly thinking differently about the type of people that we need to recruit and we need to address some of these agendas that we've been talking about, frankly, for years now around diversity. I think there are some really big challenges and the industry has made some huge step forwards uh, in recent years, but I think there's some real issues around class and regional uh, input into into teams. And that's a real challenge. How do you address that when a lot of the, if there's a new startup, it's based in London and it's got all the problems that that brings. Interestingly, Jonathan is a big supporter of blind CVs, which conceal academic qualifications so that recruiters can focus solely on the candidate's attributes, with a premium on creativity and curiosity, attributes which he says are not conveyed through any certificate you can present. Kim Fletcher of the NCTJ says that qualifications like theirs at least offer recruiters the assurance that a candidate has all the training necessary to do a, quote, serious profession, which has real-life consequences, thinking here possibly about defamation, court reporting, and so on. Jonathan says that such qualifications do have their place, so long as they move with the times and reflect the needs of publications increasingly moving digital. As the news movement is about to start hiring for roles, we learn that these roles will not require applicants to have formal qualifications. Uh, We are about to publish our first ads this week. Um, They will not feature uh, uh, requests for university degrees. Uh, They will not feature NCTJ qualifications. Uh, They will request that people uh, understand uh, social media platforms, but you wouldn't expect anything less for an organisation that is putting its content out on social media. So, you know, we want people who are curious about the world. Uh, we want people with a little bit of experience, um, partly to complete the circle of our team as it currently formed. Yeah, I, I mean, university and um, accreditation 
is not necessarily a qualification for us. Now, there is some validity that journalism is a difficult job, and journalists do need specific skills to do it well from an ethical, legal or commercial perspective. City University of London is one of the well-regarded journalism schools in the UK, but not all of its courses are NCTJ accredited. However, they do have a high success rate of graduates entering the industry, accreditation or not. Dr Zahira Harb is the director of the Masters International Journalism and Masters Media and Globalisation programmes. Applicants need at least a 2-1 degree on a bachelor's course to get onto the Masters, but City will also consider journalists with a decade of industry experience without formal degrees, which is the case for two current students. All applicants need two weeks formal work experience, which would come in several different forms. Work at a student newspaper, their own professional blogs, or a placement secured formally or informally through family connections. This is a test of their commitment to the career. The courses have a big focus on ethics, law, and specialisms around investigations, financial journalism, or reporting on the Middle East. Zahira says this is one reason why City University graduates have a good reputation in the industry, but the alumni network is another big factor. Uh, we have a very good reputation. Almost 96% of our graduates get a job within the first six months of their graduation. And uh, we highly depend, we've been there for a long time, so we really depend on our alumni network, including Jonathan. Um, All right, you know, no, I'm going to stop you now before this turns into a commercial for City. <laughs> But what about candidates from other universities? Is there a bias at news organisations to hire based on where the candidate studied? Charney says that there is, and that recruiters need to think about widening their search because in her experience, what she's learned on the job over the years far outstrips what she gained at university. Hiring predominantly from one university is short-sighted in the long run, and it can overlook some interesting new approaches and skills that other universities are trying to prioritise. Um, I know a lot of people okay. who work at the we BBC, positive. Now we're and they say that a lot of students will graduate from City and straight away, because of the connection City has with the BBC, they'll be offered jobs, but a lot of other universities don't necessarily have those relationships with these big broadcasters, big publications, so for any publications out there who are offering work experience, I mean, I'm not saying don't offer it to university students who... You have relationships with those unis, but maybe look elsewhere as well because, um, yeah, there are so many courses around the UK who are not just degrees but other forms of training who work with brilliant young journalists, but because those organisations might not necessarily have relationships with big publications, those students are kind of at a little bit of a loss because they're just... But are you trying to stop Zahara's students coming? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> just um, make those opportunities available to a wider number of students rather than just a small pool. Zahira says that the success of City University can be put down to the fact they're based in London, as are many of the UK's main media organisations. But as news organisations move or open up new headquarters outside of London, we've seen Channel 4, for example, set up shop in Leeds, that will force recruiters to search for work experience and hires much closer afield. And that translates to hope on the horizon for journalism students elsewhere in the UK. And this hit one of the nerves of an audience member, Hilary Scott, a senior lecturer at Northampton University. Do bear with the audio here as what Hilary says is really, really good. She makes an impassioned point on what recruiters are missing out on by insisting on NCTJ qualifications and minimum experience when journalism students outside of London simply cannot afford to commute into the capital or haven't been able to get work experience for the last two years due to the pandemic. 
Also bear in mind that the likelihood is that jobs in neighbouring fields like communications and the so-called dark arts of PR are ready to tempt journalistic talent away with better salaries and vacancies if we ignore this issue. Take a listen. I'm uh, Hilary Scott. I'm a senior lecturer in journalism at the University of Northampton. That's about an hour north of London. But um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people think that the only places that do degrees are City and Cardiff. And there are hundreds of really good really good thorough training degrees around the country and let's face it it's the industry that abdicated responsibility for training 10 12 15 years ago i've got an nctj qualification i don't use my shorthand anymore because i don't go to court and you can tweet and you've got a load of journalists and i I genuinely think this is a class problem more than anything else a lot of editors did what i did they went did their nctj training after doing an english degree and they were trained on the job. And the fact is that that does not exist anymore. And you've got hundreds of really skilled, really talented, very well-trained journalists coming through who don't get a look in because they didn't do an undergraduate degree at Oxford and didn't have parents in the industry. And it's, quite frankly, it, it galls me when I go to these events because there's BJTC training. There are courses that don't have any accreditation at all but still do weekly news days video explainers, social media, as well as studio production and sub-editing. And, I, and I'm sitting here gritting my teeth as poor Kim got, got earbashed by me beforehand. It's not all NCTJ or nothing. There is a lot more out there and you are missing out if you are a recruiter and you are not taking on those kids because you've put in your job ad NCTJ preferred. Yeah, poor Kim did get an earbashing. <laughs> And he also said, that's great, Hillary, but can you phrase it as a question? And you promised, <laughs> you promised you would phrase it as a question. So, guys, what does Hillary do? What are you three who are all recruiting people? What are you going to do for Hillary's students? What, where does it start? Good question by Kim, and it's a good chance to recap on what we've explored so far. Part of the answer surely lies in internships, placements and positions that do not require qualifications from the outset, a focus on learning on the job, paying a living wage, or if it's working experience, at least making it financially viable to carry out, but critically, leave that person employable to other recruiters if they are not retained by the company. University has a role here in getting more people onto courses that might struggle to afford them as well. However, there's another side to this. It's not just enough to get people through the door, you want to make sure they don't leave. Charney suggests that one big reason talent leaves the industry is lack of career progression and the panel chimes in with some good advice on retention. 100%. um, It's why I left my last job. I think a big part of it is a lack of clear career progression. Um, Just not either not knowing what the next step up is or not knowing how to get there. And I think a really simple way of remedying that is just by having yearly, twice a yearly meetings um, with your line manager or someone more senior where you can identify what you want to get out of the job and then what the company can offer you so that you can reach that position and actually stay there without having to look um, externally at other companies or just leaving the industry. And are they leaving because their aspirations aren't being met because they're not instant stars, or have they got good reasons for leaving because actually they just feel they're not looked at at all? I think, yeah, that can also be another issue. I know um, a lot of people I've spoken to about this issue feel like sometimes the companies they work for would rather 
hire someone new for a position rather than looking at existing members of staff or freelancers that they work with and trying to train them up to actually fill those roles themselves. Your retention, Emily? Yeah, we, we tend to keep it quite simple. We want to predominantly listen to our people and understand if there are any challenge points at all. We do this thing called a pulse check once a quarter where we'll ask kind of a series of questions about kind of what they're, what they're doing at that point in time, their career progression, what they would like to see, how would they would like to see themselves in six months' time. And, you know, as an example, when we did this last time, we saw that there was a specific kind of challenge around elements of the career progression. So we then rolled out individual career progression conversations across the whole newsroom. And that, you know, really kind of steadied the ship. You know, everyone was very happy with the outcome. And we actioned it as well. So, you know, to your point... Uh, yes, that's a, that's a huge reason why people leave. <laughs> um, what about you on, a, on your startup? Uh, too soon for people to be... I, I'd feel myself being very unlucky if we lost people after three or four months yeah. of startup, which is, which is well-funded. So um, uh, I'd actually like to draw my BBC experience, actually, here, where there's definitely been a problem with retention. I think one of the problems is that, in a way, younger journalists were put on a bit of a pedestal and uh, they, were, they were brought into the newsroom and told that they were the future. And I think there's a real danger with that because um, there's then a huge amount of expectation on both sides. And I, I think that can make them quite an uncomfortable situation. And I think a lot of young journalists didn't feel they were being listened to. And um, frankly, sometimes the BBC didn't deliver on that. Um, and uh, people just got frustrated and, and, and left. And I think that if we think that younger journalists are a route to success, then we need to match some of the uh, things that they're asking for. And that might be about appearing on certain platforms or it might be talking about certain stories or telling stories in a different way. And uh, I don't think we should necessarily expect younger journalists to turn up and, and do things in the way that organisations have always done. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. I think that's a good place to leave it. My thanks to Kim, Charney, Jonathan, Zahira and Emily for joining us at News Rewired and speaking to us so openly and candidly. My thanks as well to our engaged audience on the day. I think a takeaway here is that universities and accreditation bodies do have their place in journalism so long as they move with the times and are not just a mechanism to funnel in only a certain type of journalist, one who has family connections and comes from an elite university. Alternative routes into journalism which do not require formal qualifications are out there, but they're too few and competitive to make much of a dent. You can bet I will continue to follow this conversation, and I'd love to hear your two cents. You can DM or tweet me at jpgjournalism or the wider team at journalism.co.uk at journalism news. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, please do get in touch. I'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode where we will catch up with Farah Storm, head of writer partnerships at Substack, who sadly had to drop out of Newswire due to COVID, but we will be catching up with her to talk about the future of newsletters. That's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.